Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North, where I interview some of the North's leading business figures. And today we're going to delve into the world of video production because I'm sat here with Ithaca Films Managing Director Matt McGough. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hello, thanks for having me. Total pleasure. It's good to, to see you. I have to say that Matt and I first worked together about 10 years ago, both in uh, slightly different roles at the time. Um, so it's good to find out where you are and uh, how business is today. So let's go straight in. We both have an interest in video production as it's something we offer as creative agencies. Talk to us about how that industry has exploded because it really has exploded in the last few years. I think exploded is, is absolutely the right way to, to describe it. Um, the first thing we noticed was when iPads came out because all of a sudden then you had something that you could put in front of somebody and show them in high quality with the sound and everything else. Um, you weren't loading up laptops for presentations, things like that. It really started to take on a life of its own. Immediacy. Like, it, it was just there. So people are going to meetings, showing something, and then they've got 55 minutes to talk, shop about everything else, rather than it being the whole um, presentation being bogged down with... with uh, detail but um, the big thing really has been when um, Twitter Facebook's come along and you've been able to upload things natively um, it's just everywhere you can't get away from how much visual content is out there and when you, you peel back the layers, you go, somebody has to be making this. Yeah. And that's where companies like ours come in. And I guess what's really interesting, of course, coupled with all of that, there's just been this rise in user-generated content because people now have the devices at their own fingertips to do it themselves. And actually, then we've seen people do YouTube videos in terms of how to, I don't know, it could be how to fix your dishwasher or things like that. And actually, brands have seen the power of that and decided to harness it themselves, again, where companies like ours come in because they go, actually, we could do this and do it in a slightly slicker way and uh, obviously perhaps this is starting to invest more that way it's fascinating because things have really changed in a very short space of time certainly what our offer has has really evolved what are your predictions for the future of video marketing it's a strange one because it there's there's so many different ways it could go to and it's there isn't seemingly a, a set path for this and again the the rise of your instagram mums and things like that is, is sort of laid that out bare that people can just go and make things and a lot of the brands are harnessing the people who are making their own content and things like that so that there's there's so many different ways um, that the market's evolving. I think that one of the, the key ways that it always comes back to is the story that people are trying to tell because it's all right going, oh well, we could, I mean, to be able to run around with your phone and create things of a higher quality that you would need £60,000 of equipment for previously and yet you've got this thing in your pocket that can do it all, um, that's incredibly powerful um, but there will always be the need for for people who can tell that story and tell it well and engage with people because I think it's alright to go and oh, we'll, we'll do some video or film files if you like but if they're not landing with anybody and nobody's seeing them yeah so what's the point just, yeah, so like we've, we've got a real live industry is don't just post shit on the internet right yeah. in terms of it's just pointless you know oh, you yeah. can do it could be a really beautiful video but mm. if it's not got a purpose behind it and it's not resonating with the right audience so I guess you would totally agree with that in that vein we work with a lot of big corporates you certainly do Dante's Valley I'm sure you'll you'll mention a few but um, what should corporate clients be thinking about in terms of innovation when it comes to their, their video content a lot of the innovation comes back to how you're going to get eyeballs on it. And that doesn't mean, oh, well, we need 
50,000 views, we need it to go viral, we need it to be picked up by BuzzFeed and all that. Sometimes the most powerful things are that the right people saw it. So one of the most powerful things we've done is um, around fostering um, down in Tees Valley because every time a child isn't placed um, within the borough it costs £27,000 and um, we did a campaign with Middlesbrough Council to get more foster parents now which is difficult right because yeah, you've got to absolutely. get the right having worked in a fostering campaign fostering adoption mm-hmm. campaign before it's actually much more complex than you think because you're not even you're not just talking about very vulnerable children need to be placed with families uh, but it's actually you have to get the right type of person um so actually that you've got a very tricky niche audience right mm-hmm. yeah and you don't need a million views on it you don't need the, no you the, want the, the right awards. kind of people you just need people to be picking up the phone or, or emailing in and being like, I want to do this, I've been been compelled to do that. And that was a, a very successful campaign. And so that's emotional triggers, want. right? So how did yeah. you pull that together? Talk about the process, because yeah. that, that surely must have been understanding who it was you were talking to, the people who were be in that market, mm-hmm. you know, to, to use a you know business term on something that's yeah. very emotional and personal. But, you know, that's quite hard because you've got, to, you have to have hit the emotional triggers and a strong call to action. Yeah, a lot of that, I mean, Middlesbrough Council were very progressive with this in fact that they had done a lot of work with case studies. So we were telling real stories, but obviously it's people in vulnerable positions. So you have to, um, you can't be like, oh, this is um, a certain kid and this is exactly what their life's like. Yeah. But a lot of that was based around... Um, telling the different types of stories because um, there are young people who've got children themselves but they need fostering mm. so it was trying to find those different threads and capture them in a way that you could put out these different stories and they would resonate with different people so again people who maybe the, their children had moved out and they still wanted yeah they, had they still so had love to give yeah, yeah. so much to give and, and it's and they this, got the reward from yeah. actually still nurturing yeah. other people who needed it yeah, yeah. so it, it's things like that where you, you're looking at it in different ways and it's the humanity within the story though isn't it Absolutely. i think all good stories have humanity to it and authenticity and yeah. it sounds like that campaign Oh, they, hit those they, with spades they absolutely had it authenticity is absolutely key with this stuff people know when you're lying yeah absolutely and it's fake mm-hmm. no i hear you Let's go from, obviously, what sounds like a really um, case study and best practice to the worst brief you've ever had. Um, well, we've all been there where uh, <laughs> you get a brief and you're like, ah, how do we do this? What's, you know, what's the worst brief you've had and what is a good brief to you in terms of when a client or a prospect comes to you and says, this is what we need? What, what mm-hmm. helps you so that you can respond appropriately? Let's do the negative first. So the, yeah. the worst stuff is when it's say let's say if it was me so it's a managing director of a a company and i'm saying to somebody who isn't who is outside my expertise oh well i've already done the job for you i'll direct it and then you just need to come and film it and do the technical bits i've worked out and it's like okay well what are we trying to do here like what I, I you don't want to be rude, but you kind of want to go well equally you're the specialist in the area and in the same way Mm -hmm. that and I, i i hope that I try to do this with our suppliers where you kind of go give them the room to do what they do best yeah. and not like get too bogged down it because you go like if, if someone's trying to make um, make a really nice meal I can't cook so there's no point me telling them what to do yeah, you're chopping that wrong love yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's just daft we get that with writing all the time you yeah. know you write a press release every, everyone thinks they can write a press oh, release everyone's a director no exactly this is it I see I, I like to leave the specialists to do what they know. That's their area of expertise. And um, you can see a mile off 
um, you know, where you've got proper help in, and uh, certainly when it comes to video production. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so what, what helps you in terms of when someone comes to you? Because, you know, not everybody is an expert, and sometimes people recognise that. What's the basics that you need to be able to respond and say, actually, this is what we're looking at, and this is how we think we should approach it? Yeah. Is it just about the business objective? No. The business objectives are, like, arguments say it's like, oh, well, we need to sell more of A. Mm. It's like, well, it's not really that compelling. Yeah, where's Whereas the heart? <laughs> when we, you're doing things with companies, a lot of it is the we're the, the funnel, if you like, that all the different things that are going on in their business all need to be put through this funnel and you get a film at the end of it that usually crystallises marketing strategies, PR, culture, um, all the internal things, so... Uh, and a lot of companies see themselves as, oh, well, we're best in class and we invest and we do this and we do that. So it's how you substantiate yeah. that within the video footage. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like, like everyone thinks their, their company's great and that that's absolutely fine, but when you're doing something and the authenticity isn't there, or it's like we're trying to dress something up as something that it isn't, so that someone, type of thing. So for a corporate film then, you're basically saying, if I've got this right, tell us... What's the story you want to tell mm. and how could we substantiate it? So it's, I think that's the bit, isn't it? Give us the yeah. evidence and we'll make you a beautiful that's film that tells your story. Yes, yeah. because a lot of the time you put a camera in front of something and it's just acting as a mirror yeah. for, for what's going on there. And if some of our clients have been through huge change programmes and, and what they say is completely 100% who they are and what they do, and that makes our job so much easier and it enhances the film content because we, we end up embedded with yeah. them and, and the own the, the bits of old brains, which is weird. <laughs> I think what's interesting is that people often think of video as an external facing tool and it doesn't have to be. So we've done really great briefs that have been used by um, organisations internally to help mm. with their, you know, with talent. Um, so, and you talk about change programmes, we've worked with a, a very big um, NHS trust who knew that their culture wasn't right so they interviewed a number of staff and then and showed that to say look we, we're hearing you we recognize the problem and a year later after that change transformation program did another set of interviews which thankfully because the the change had come were very different and they showed it again at a staff roadshow so I think this is the thing about you know video it's 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 so powerful and a medium that you can use in, in many ways which is perhaps how again how companies can innovate. Let's move on a little bit. Um, move away from actually the, what you do to where you do it. You took a conscious decision to develop the business, you know, your video production business, Ithaca Films, in, in Tees Valley. Why Why Tees Valley? The accent probably gives that away. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd worked in Newcastle for 10 years at that point and um, there wasn't like, really much places for me to go. There, were, there wasn't um, any companies of our, definitely our size, quality or, or anything like that in Tees Valley and we I was bringing a lot of work um, out of the region into Newcastle mm -hmm. um, but I had a young family and again anyone who's been on the Tyne Bridge at rush hour knows you, you miss that by Painful. five minutes yeah you miss that by five minutes your slot on there and yeah you're missing your kids going to bed and things like that so something needed to change and there was a real opportunity to um, to go home really because I, I felt like I didn't really belong either in Tees Valley or, or in the north of the region because I was just splitting my time between the two. Mm. Um, so with the support of the likes of Digital City and things like that, I knew that there was a, you'd have a, I'd have a fighting chance of being able to do it there. And, and, and make, and make yeah. a mark in a small pool, so it'd be a big fish in a small pool. You know, it's just like one of the decisions that I made in terms of starting a business up in the northeast rather than going to London. Yeah. In terms of, uh, yeah. you know, like you, you can actually have a decent profile. And mm -hmm. I guess 
around where you are there's a lot of talent comes out digitally there's like the, the mm-hmm. universities and everything was that a factor in your decision it was i mean just to pick up the the point there is that you can because the the bar's low for want of a better expression you can make a lot of impact with like minor efforts really so that you can build that momentum and then when you like you get to the point we are where we are making bigger strides and we they do require a lot more thought but we've already done what was the hard stuff really so that that's a bit establishing thing, but, the business getting yeah, the brand known yeah. getting the big name clients doing the excellent work that you set yourself mm-hmm. out to to do yeah absolutely but the university plays a, a key role with us we've just signed um, a memorandum of, of understanding with them to sort of formalize our relationship because it has been very ad hoc and it's a big thing where you're going we need to now look at when we're bringing people in and things like that because we do get a lot of people wanting to work with us and when we do have job adverts we do get a, a huge response but it's now trying to identify people a lot earlier so that we're ready and they're ready when when we need to come together how big's the team uh, it was seven at the minute yeah um, looking at eight and nine yeah now so with scaling what we do there. bit by bit and yeah it's it's trying to do it without going mental and and overreaching yeah that's the that's the my big i think for any business owner that's the that's the big question isn't it especially as you get to a tipping point and as you go even bigger Mm -hmm. um so uh let me know what your tips are when you get there oh yeah well for an an industry that's usually ones or twos yeah it's already sort of at a point where it's large yeah but so we'll, we'll see where we go with that Fantastic. And let's um, talk about industrial history because uh, you and I are both, you know, big ambassadors for the North East. Um, it's known for its industrial history, but it's it's evolving. And, you know, we've got burgeoning fields such as health and life sciences, digital, advanced manufacturing and energy. How do you think the current generation can define what's next? You know, we've got big political turbulence going on. Brexit is happening. What's our role as, you know, the current, I guess, generation of leaders and working with the people who are really are in power, who can make you know the, the big political decisions. Yeah, I think I feel like we're custodians this current generation for like um, protecting and bringing through and nurturing the next generation because they've got so much about them in terms of how clued in they are, how switched on they are. They've got a real desire for truth and they see through everything, and it's more than than I certainly did. I mean, I, mean, I took nothing on face value anyway from a, a young age, but. I think that there's a real opportunity there to to move away from the um, the mass employment, um, huge heavy industries that we've all grown up with, into smaller clusters. And I think that there's so much interesting stuff going on throughout the northeast that I've never known a time like this where it's just exciting. And I think that my big worry about Brexit and and the rest of it that's going on politically is that it could dampen um, all the the grassroots that are coming through right now. And that would be, be a travesty. And that's what we've got to protect, I guess. Absolutely. I think what's really interesting about the next generation is that they are so clued on and they're very much into sustainability. And yeah. I think that's a message we've got to hear loud and clear and start to implement ourselves. And you know, thankfully, you know, talked about uh, energy and advanced manufacturing, that yeah. the Northeast is innovating in these areas. Um, so it's about making sure that that continues, um, even if we have to batten down the hatches a bit over the, over the next few years, I guess. Um, what else could we be doing as a business community, you know, talking about the next few years to increase trade and drive inward investment? You'd have seen that recently Tees Valley Mayor Ben Hutchin has been um, coming out in support of free ports and saying, he said that a free port in the area would add two billion to the region's economy annually. That's that's quite staggering. Yeah, what else What else could we be doing? It's a big question. It's, it's a mammoth question. And I mean, 
one of the things that I think we could be doing, particularly in the digital sector, is we should be reaching out more at the minute. I mean, everyone's busy doing their own things and we're all seemingly doing well, so it's not like it's the most urgent thing. But I think that connecting with companies in places like, especially Dundee, Glasgow, Manchester, not necessarily, the, the eye is always on London and like we, we get a bit of work from London, but I don't spend much time down there and I don't particularly want to if I can because there's so many other interesting places where you kind of go well the Tees Valley in Middlesbrough in particular has a huge digital hotspot there and we're more like people like in Dundee they've had yeah. similar they've come from similar places and we have where are we matched with that's Where's, the thing yeah. and I think that um it's something that I, w- I would like to work on individually and I think that it's something that maybe collectively we can look at as well yeah, no, I agree. Cluster working is great, not just in terms of our own mini communities, but actually wider communities. And then actually, how do you do that to show that, for example, digitally, we have global competitive advantage and people should come look at what we're doing, how we're innovating and invest here. So yeah, good answer. Live today, we were talking before we got started on here about mental health and how things are hectic. <laughs> how do you manage your mental health and that of your team? You know, it's it's not easy. Um, it's not, no. What do you do? Um, sometimes I, I, I realise at the very last minute where I am because um, it's almost like sometimes putting my brain through um, a cheese grater or something like that and I'll, I'll realise that I've I've shredded too much and that I've usually now it's, it's in the forms of that I maybe should have taken a break six weeks earlier or something like that. So for me at the time, a lot of it is I know that I need to, to stop and spend some time with my family and just do things that... that um, that are about me not just about the business and things like that because you do get very obsessive about building a business and it does take over I mean I can talk quite frankly about this when I went to see the the doctor a while back low mood that type of thing he prescribed me just go and play on your guitar for an hour yeah and and do just take yourself away make your brain do something else that it enjoys yeah and, and but you have to concentrate on, right? Thing, yeah. So I'm, a, I'm saying I have to do either a body pump class or yoga or something, but I need something that actually switches, actively switches my brain off because yeah. it doesn't do that automatically. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're engaged and you love your job, uh, but also you are quite motivated to work hard, you, you have to have something that does almost create an intervention. Yeah. And outside of looking at the kids, because actually, you know, you know, lifestyle business, finish work, you know, go and mm-hmm. sort the kids out, put them from school, make their tea. But actually, that's still quite relentless. You still need time for you. Yeah. And I think the business practice in terms of the team, you know, we work quite hard on this in terms of making sure that everybody has a balance. I guess you try and do the same because you must do long mm-hmm. hours at times and have peak times and not because you try very hard to plan. But I bet you're the same as here. You'll sometimes get through lots of work all on at once despite despite your best planning. Yeah, it, uh, there's a there's the, the workload that we've got planned and then there's the, the phone rings and... everything goes Mm. everything just gets thrown in the air but and because of the nature of what we do sometimes things do happen at six o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night or on a weekend we've got a handle on it to a point where everyone's time's accounted for and they will get it back in some way shape or form that's that's one of the big things that I, i try to sort of look at but there's the big um, quote from Brian Clough about um sometimes people need an arm around the shoulder or kick up the arse that type of thing but i try and look at it with try to be as empathetic as possible to, to my team and look at the signs that they're giving me. Mm-hmm. Try not to force what's going on with them as well. So almost like, it's like fishing where you just kind of like, you're letting them know that you're there without getting too involved and they'll come to you when they're ready, yeah. that type of thing. That's happened a few times. But a lot of it is just, sometimes you can't take people out with the firing line because they need to be in it. Yeah. And I think there's like, a lot are very resilient and um, 
the more similar to me than I think that the devil want to. It's part of the leadership journey, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of you have to give people the tools and and the chance to gain experience so they grow. Absolutely, you know yeah. that's how you build a team, isn't it? In terms of so understand that that you can't always turn about the firing line. It's often part of their job, mm-hmm. but you can support them in that and yeah. provide you know a listening ear. It's, I think that's really important for people to recognise because I think it's a bit like helicopter parenting. You can very quickly come in and take your kid out of a situation, but all the experts say you mustn't do that because mm-hmm. you won't they won't you won't build their resilience and they'll not be able to cope later in life. So it's, it's a bit like that, isn't it, when you're nurturing a team? Yeah, and sometimes it's that like the, the example I'm thinking of is that um, one of them is going on a break next week and it's been overdue. Yet the work that they were doing. If I'd have taken them out of that, that would have been really damaging for them because they needed to finish that project. They needed to be involved in it. And it doesn't really... And it's also continuity for the client as well, isn't it? There's lots. I mean, you've got got different uh, stakeholder needs to balance, so it's a bit bit of everything. That's great. I'm going to switch to uh, a more personal question to to wind up. It's, what's the best book you've read recently and why, whether it's work-related or not? Creativity Inc., which was by um, Ed Catmull, who started Pixar. Okay. So that was, I mean, it's so candid, so candid. And there's so many business books out there that, The E-Myth, for example, where it's like, oh, well, a business that you make something and you make it over again and you do this. Whereas we're sort of like catching waves more Mm. more often than not. And what it really did was showed me that... um, Yes, when you're dealing with a team, you can say, oh, my door's open, you should tell me about these things, but you need to go and find these things out from them when there's issues. You need to do it in a very candid way. And, you and need... be proactive yeah, about it. It's, you can't just yeah. be like, oh, my door's open, so I've done enough. Yeah. You go, there, there's, I don't think there's such a thing as enough when it comes to your teams. And because they're such um, a similar company to us in terms of um, the industry that they're in, it was really refreshing to read the honest thoughts and the quite controversial thoughts of I think a lot of business coaches would frown on on some of their practices Mm. but they were very unique to them and it was just like the the key takeaway was be yourself do the right things for your company don't try and turn yourself into a company because people know straight away and it's I think um, it sort of allowed us to sort of go well actually this is our space you've got freedom to do say think what you'd like and build your own culture world, that type of thing so yeah. so why not and some, sometimes that that slips out and maybe it shouldn't but it's it's like making your own gang really that's yeah. that's how we approach a little it. bit of a tribe oh absolutely nothing wrong have with you that. met my guys <laughs> i'll have to come down and spend more time <laughs> matt thank you so much for coming to chat to me and for being a great ambassador for the tees valley if you'd like to keep up to date with what matt's up to he's on twitter at ithaca matt and i hope you're enjoying this first series of my friends in the north and we're coming to a nearly the end of it but we've got a couple more to go if you or a client would like to be involved in the next series please do drop me a line at sarah at astute.work but bye for now and see you next time thank you for listening to my friends in the north with sarah waddington you can find sarah on twitter at mrs underscore wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work see you next time